Hello, welcome back to Midbrow, the uh, lowbrow conversation brought to you by from a highbrow point of view. Today, uh, I, Harrison Cooper, will be talking to the Waffle Agenda, another podcast by us, and we'll be talking about Quentin Tarantino movies and ranking them. Um, but before that, we are brought to you by Three Hive Record Lounge, located at 50 East, 500 North, number 105 in Provo, Utah, 84606. They're also online shop.threehive.com where you can find used and new records purposely created curated by the host of the website um yeah check them out after the jump i'll be able to be talking about quentin tarantino we include once upon a time in hollywood in our lists and we talk about spoiler plot points in all these movies so if you haven't watched any of these films uh make sure you do beforehand or if you don't want to watch quentin tarantino movies uh skip this episode but besides that uh we'll see you after the jump Today, Quentin Tarantino movies. Bye. Welcome to Midbrow. I am your host Harrison Cooper. I'm here with, um, and we're, today we're going to be talking about Tarant- Quentin Tarantino movies. Before we start listing our rankings, which we'll start from in descending order, so we'll start with the ones our least favorite to going to our favorites. Um, do you do you have anything you want to say in regards to Tarantino? I have a couple things I want to say. Yes, yeah. So um, my history with Tarantino, uh, I was twenty something. When I saw uh, Reservoir Dogs, and I saw it at an art house uh, theater in, in Oregon, and so I feel like my adulthood, I've spent a lot of time with Tarantino, and I've seen uh, seen him, and I've been able to appreciate his films from an adult perspective, uh, uh, which is a little bit different than when you run into a filmmaker when you're uh, younger and you fall in love with the film and you have this uh, great emotional attachment. I could be a little more detached emotionally and objective as an adult. So, not saying my opinion matters more, but it's just uh, maybe a little bit more adult of an opinion or more mature of an opinion about, <coughs> about him. Since, um, and, and I remember vividly uh, how, in particular, Pulp Fiction changed everything, and it set Hollywood on its ear. And you had a lot of um, directors who were Tarantino-esque who got greenlit like Guy Ritchie, and they were able to make films like Snatch, and you know, and did a lot of films kind of of that. Bugsy. Yeah, and then I remember Barry Levinson did uh, Get Shorty, which uh, was very much in the vein of Tarantino, and, and you, you started having a lot of films like that, uh, that were, it's almost like uh, uh, they just said, hey, go out there and get us a director who can do a Tarantino-type Film we've got, uh, or let's start greenlighting these scripts that uh, are uber violent or have anti heroes or what whatever they were. But but he was he's, he has been an absolute force in the industry. It's great because <clears throat> I feel like he's kind of like punk rock in the seventies. Like a lot of people are like, I can do that. I like that. That's fun. Yeah. And then they started doing their own thing. My soapbox with Quentin Tarantino is that a lot of people write him off really quickly. 
I feel like that's really lazy criticism. Where you're just like, oh, he's just ultraviolet and he loves dialogue. I'm like, there's, you have to really, like, there's a lot to entertain you on the surface with any Quentin Tarantino film, but you can dig deeper and there's a lot more in there than you pro- than a lot of people give him credit. I, it's unfortunate that his entire career has been, like, Pulp Fiction was such a hit. It won Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival, which is kind of weird looking at the other films that win the Palme d'Or. Yeah. But you, I feel like, his entire career, everyone's like, oh, that's the Pulp Fiction guy. They won't let him do anything different. And I, I, I just think a lot of people don't give him enough credit or they don't pay attention enough when they're watching Quentin Tarantino movie to really get what he's doing. I think he's a lot more artistic than a lot of people give him credit. I think it's unfortunate. Well, yeah, yeah no, and he, he, he wears his influences on his sleeve. Yeah. You see it repeated in all of his films. The other thing, though, if you look at Tarantino, he, he is unlike... Uh, many directors. Well, he launched the Weinstein Corporation. I mean, that he was their big win, um, and um, that with that came some power. Outside of Jackie Brown, I think he wrote all of his other uh, films that he directed. Yeah, he self produces. He produces a lot of other people's films. He, he's a prolific writer, but but there are very few filmmakers out there today that write an original script. And direct that, and have a, a big distribution and budget for it. Yeah, uh, Woody Allen might be another one. There's there's just not a lot of them out there that are producing original material uh, like him. And and the other thing that uh, you know there are Tarantino haters, just like there are lovers out there. There there he has um, taking and getting back to your punk rock idea. He is taking kind of the B-movie, the underappreciated, the below-the-radar style of films, uh, whether it's a, uh, you know, chop suey, you know, karate uh, approach, or if it's um, kind of a a, a spaghetti western or whatever you want to be with a lot of these uh, B-type films, and he's made them A-films, and he's been transformative and he a lot of people talk about the violence and that sort of stuff and, and I if you've watched any of those um, action type films um, Japanese samurai films or Chinese films it, it's right out of that I mean the the over-the-top blood splatter <coughs> it, it's it's absolutely out of that it's it's more tongue-in-cheek than it is uh, realistic there there are films out there that have much more realistic violence and gore, which uh, turns my stomach. Whereas with Tarantino's, I kind of find it humorous. Well, yeah, he told he knows what he's doing. He's winking yeah. at you when he does it. Yeah, I think. But on the flip side of the people should take Tarantino more seriously, there are the people who are basically only Tarantino fans, and he can do no wrong. Yeah. And he like is their god and like the greatest filmmaker of all time. And I don't think it's that either. I think it's in the middle between those two extremes. Mm-hmm. You should pay attention to him. You should. Seek out and, and tr- really try to dig in deeper when you get into him, but he I don't think he's the greatest filmmaker of all time. I don't think he should be heralded as like the modern god. I think there are better filmmakers working today, but he's got probably one of the most consistent filmographies of all time. Like just uh, like home run after home run of films. I mean, there are a couple in, in here that I'm not huge fans of, but I mean, but he has a pretty good batting average. No, there's no doubt. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. No, he he has an audience. I'm sure that when they give him, uh, when they greenlight one of his films and give him his budget, they know exactly 
when he puts his name on something, what that box office yep. return is going to get and yeah. what they're getting. Uh, so he is a very bankable and dependable uh, commodity for him. And he, I'm sure he works because he, does, uh, he doesn't do blue screen on anything. No, yeah. So he probably works pretty effectively and, and uh, economically. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I, uh, I also want to say there's one thing about Quentin Tarantino I think people should. It's, it, with his movies, you should approach Quentin Tarantino movies the way that Tarantino approaches movies. I was watching this interview with him and, him and a bunch of other directors. It was one of those directors' roundtable. And the uh, interviewer said, if you could take one piece of film, like one scene or sequence from um, any movie, and shoot it off into space to show aliens what cinema is like on Earth, what would it be? And a bunch of the directors said the uh, sequence in 2001 Space Odyssey with yeah. the bone flip and the, and yeah. the, uh, yeah. the cut. Yeah. And Tarantino said he would... Put, Take the last chase sequence in Police Story Three. Three Story Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I think that you have to look at that. That he, first of all, he's not condescending. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, value a film just because it's important other uh, over other ones. He has his own rule book of like, oh, this is what I like in movies. And I think people need to approach his movies like that, not saying like, oh, well, this is an important movie, and therefore I'm going to like it more. But they should approach it more of like... He, he, no, he, he is pedestrian yeah. uh, in his tastes. And that's why he has a rabid following. Because he's not... He, he doesn't come with this highbrow, artsy approach like like a Kubrick or something. Like no, yeah. Every shot has to be a portrait. It, it, he's, he's much more the man of the people. And he's never lost that. Even though he's been at this for a, a, a while, um, he, he, he's never lost that almost childlike or movie geek in him uh, and, and appreciating uh, kind of films that are uh, blue-collar-ish, if you want to say, yeah. type of films. A- and he was on that director's roundtable we were watching, and they were, uh, yeah, they, they, they asked a, another question, of what, like what their favorite film of the year was or something like, like that, or favorite film of all time, or... And uh, all these directors were saying, you know, Battleship Potemkin and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And he, he just came back and said, you know, I've been on the record for saying this for so, so long. It's good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Right? So so he, he is, he is uh, there's no pretense about this. No, guy, no, which is it's great. great. Yeah. Now, before we start on our list, I want to say that mine is very controversial. And every time I talk to people about favorite Tarantino movies, I always get like, like side head cocks and like what what are you thinking like how how like how is your rankings this way but also it changes year by year yeah one year like for a while hateful eight was my favorite tarantino film now it's yeah. not even my top five yeah because i've rewatched them before i saw once upon a time in hollywood which is in my uh, which by the way we're listing that yeah. in the list um but now it's not even my top five it's just weird how when i rewatch them it's like oh wait no this is sticking out to me now that's why I think his films are layered and people really should revisit them more often. Well, it, it, there, are, there are other things uh, in his films that... Um, it, it, look, he, he doesn't have a dog, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they've all been great. And um, th- these lists are incredibly subjective. And, and a big part of the subjectivity is, like, um, Kill Bill Volume 1... That ending scene with um, Beatrix, which she's fighting um, uh, Orenishi, um, it, it's a callback to Lady Snowblood. Yeah, that that is one of the most beautiful shot sequences oh. ever. It, and for me, uh, because I like Lady Snowblood, it, it, it 
it harkens back to that, and that's a that's a shout out that I loved. I just feel like Tarantino did it even yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and, a lot of these, a lot of these films that he's riffing on, it's like they walked so Tarantino could run. He's yeah. just like, oh, I'm gonna take that a step further and make it even that much better. Yeah. No, there's no doubt. All right. Well, my number eight, and honestly, looking at my list, I mean, I love all these movies a ton, but I, I have to rank them. So my number eight is Jackie Brown, which I really do like. <clears throat> but when you, if you watch Tarantino's movies in in like. Uh, like in the order in which they were released in chronological order, it's kind of weird because it comes after Pulp Fiction, but before uh, Kill Bill, and you're, it's just this odd egg. But by itself, it's a great movie. If you just revisit it by itself and watch it, you're like, oh, that's a great, yeah. like, that's just a great film. That's really entertaining. You have great. Well, I mean, it it has some of my favorite characters in it with Robert De Niro's character and Michael Keaton's character. But it is just overall, after the end of the movie, I'm not like, oh, I need to watch this again soon. Like with some of his other movies, as soon as they're over, I'm like, I could watch that again right now. Yeah. What about you, Jackie? So, or, well, what's, well, so I have, an, I, I, have, I have a top 10 because I'm including Death Proof and then uh, the Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 as separate films. Oh, so I don't so, have Kill Bill Volume 2 separated and I haven't seen Death Proof. So okay. I'm, so, so my number 10, which is your number 8, is Jackie Brown. Okay. Uh, and some people have that, a lot of people, big fans of that, the number one. I love the the characters, the middle-aged uh, uh, people who fall in love, right? And, yeah. And, and I, 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 I like that a lot. Um, I, I just found, uh, relative to all those other films, there were so many... Uh, he has great side characters, and I love the, the supporting characters in those other films more. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, there, there's not a... There's not a Dog. No, dog. no, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love his leading women in usually his movies. I think they're pretty cool. I mean, they're almost always the same character, yeah. uh, but I do think they're, the just, they're just, yeah, they're great. Well, it's, yeah, he was raised mostly right. by his mom, yeah, so exactly. I feel like that's where it comes from. Yeah. But, uh, well, and also, I think a lot of his heroes uh, growing up were women. There, there were always those uh, women heroes, and, and Jackie Brown, you see one of them. Yeah, she, she plays the Pam, lead. So. Pam Greer. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to do your ten and nine? Okay. And, and my, eight? my nine is Death Proof. Um, I really like Death Proof, and it and it, um, it to me it's two movies, and uh, put together in, in one. And uh, like I said, I, I really like that film. That's one of the the films that stays with me. And I, there are so many great scenes and sequences in that film that I love to watch over and over and over again. Um, it's just that you know you're choosing among your favorite children if you have to rank them. Uh, yeah. I just put Death Proof as nine. De- Death Proof. I love the way that the how, how it comes back and takes out the stunt man. How stunt women take out the stunt yeah. man. I think it's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Death Proof is a weird movie because it's like. Tarantino had this weird couple years after Kill Bill where you can kind of tell he doesn't know what to do next because mm-hmm. he has Death Proof, which is, you know, he, yeah. the double bill of Grindhouse with Robert yeah. Rodriguez's Planet Terror. And so that's kind of a weird release. And he also did like an episode of CSI. Yeah. And, and I, I just feel like in that era, he's just kind of like, I'm not sure what I want to do next until his next movie, which is Inglourious Bastards. Um... Yeah. What's, De- your, what's your what's De- your Death Proof is fun. Uh, the the other thing that I like uh, uh, a lot about Death Proof is he takes real stunt people uh, and he has them as actors and yeah uh, uh, like Zoe Bell who was the stunt coordinator on Once Upon a Time 
she, uh, fantastic, one of the legendary stunt people in Hollywood. She probably could have been a leading actress for the yeah. last 20 years, but she just happened to be also be a phenomenal stunt person. What's your number eight? My number eight is Django. Mine, that's my number seven. Yeah, yeah, Django. I um, I think Django's a great film. Uh, I lo- love all the characters in that. Uh, I just like his other films more. Yeah. It was the second Tarantino film I saw. So my thing with Django is... It was, it so Sally Menke, who was uh, Tarantino's editor on all of his movies, she died after *Inglorious Bastards* came yeah. out, and so every movie since then has been edited by different people. Yeah. And uh, watching Django, I feel like it's kind of sloppily edited and put together. It feels really loose and really jagged. Yeah. Um, and it's hard for me to get over that. Whenever I watch it, it kind of sticks out to me, and that's really nitpicky of me. Regardless, I really do love Leo and Jamie Foxx in the movie. Um, you don't like Christoph Waltz that much. He's good. I I have a more bone to pick because he won Best Supporting Actor yeah, for that movie, yeah. and I feel like there are two other guys I would have rather won yeah. Best Supporting Actor that that so year. Not against him. Well, he I, he also he just plays the quirky German, which I feel like he plays all the time yeah. now. I feel like I've kind of gotten over his shtick. I think he's a good actor. I just feel like I would love to see a lot more of variety in his roles. But um. Django's great. It was the second Tarantino film I saw, and I was really, really into it because... I thought he was a quirky dentist in Django. He totally is a quirky <laughs> dentist. He's a quirky, quirky German dentist. That's but, right. um, I really do like Django. I really... Uh, it's just... It's probably one of his most fun movies. It's probably one of his most accessible. It, of the of the Django... Of the Tarantino movies that I know a lot of people that they've seen, Django is usually like... It's a two. deeply satisfying revenge film. Yeah, very satisfying. <laughs> it is a deeply satisfying. You can't have any problems with no, how no, it goes. No, no. Um, and I, I did this list over here of people who Tarantino likes and people who Tarantino hates. So in his films, he hates cops. Yeah. He hates you know any sort of racist redneck. They, they always get it right. So whenever yeah. you see that character, they're they're in trouble. Uh, there, there's just these certain types of. Uh, or archetypes in films that uh, always end up always ends up bad for them. Yeah. You know, he likes gangsters, he likes stunt people, he likes samurai. So those people are always going to end up doing well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so if, if anybody shows up in a Tarantino film with a one of the clans, but they're done. Yeah. If they're a hippie, they're done. <laughs> they're Jamie, bad. Jamie Foxx's Django is probably one of my favorite protagonists. Top three Tarantino protagonists for me. He's just, he, he he's like the embodiment of cool in that movie. Did, did you uh, hear the uh, Jamie Foxx interview on Howard Stern when you were talking about it? Uh-uh. <laughs> Jamie Foxx showed up the first day to shoot. And um, Tarantino's very particular about uh, the things he's written. And Jamie Foxx starts to play this character as if he is cool. And Tarantino calls cut, pulls Jamie Foxx aside and says, what are you doing? He goes, this guy is a slave. <laughs> <laughs> he has been tortured, beaten, you know, you, he is uneducated. You have to play him as a slave. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and Jamie Foxx said, I love that direction, right? That's yeah. exactly what I wanted. So he snapped back. And, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, yeah, Django's great. I love that movie. Okay, although also with Django and a little bit with Hateful Eight, I feel like they both, like, Tarantino is in the most like obvious ways wearing his ter- uh, his uh, influence on his sleeve because I feel like that period is like he's like oh this is my favorite period that any movie is set in and so it's just kind of like oh yeah it's a western 
Yeah, yeah. he calls it a southern. Yeah. But it's like that is a western movie, and so is Hateful Eight. It's just like you have cowboys and you have bounty hunters. It's like he is in yeah. his most obvious element. Yeah, um, he lo- he, another thing, he he loves bounty hunters. He loves bounty hunters. Yeah, yeah. he loves bounty hunters. He loves uh, people who yeah. use the law in their own way. Yeah. Uh, what's your number? What number are you at? Seven. So uh, yeah, my number seven is Inglorious. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Go into why. Uh, another great revenge film. Uh, you know, the other thing that Tarantino hates, obviously, Nazis. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know anybody who's pro-Nazi, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so he, uh, they get it bad. It's it's a it's a great premise. The opening with uh, Christoph Waltz and that whole scene, very subtle, and Tarantino loves his dialogue and uh, his cunning use of phrases and uh, dropping hints. Uh, so it, it's it's a great film. It has some of the best scenes in it. Uh, I just think uh, Inglourious is fantastic. I just happen to like everything else more. Well, not everything else. Not Django. Not Death Proof. Not Jack. Oh well, the, but the other ones. Yeah, to yeah, yeah and there and and. And there are just, uh, there's certain reasons that I like more so. So my number six is Hateful Eight, which yeah. used to be my number one. Um, I just have rewatched a lot. I remember, because when I saw Hateful Eight, it was a while after it came out, because I was on my mission, and after a lot of people like saw it, and they're like, oh, it was all right. And I watched it, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Because yeah. I love movies that take place in one location. It's like a play. Yeah. It is, it's exactly like, like a Reservoir play. Dogs, yeah. Uh, yeah, which is why I love Reservoir Dogs. I love like Lifeboat, Rear Window, yeah. Rope, all these movies that take place in one location. Yeah. And it's great because it's probably his best characters, character written, like driven movie, where all of the events happen because of how the characters take place. Like he's talking about, in case, by the way, if you haven't seen any of his movies, maybe don't listen because we'll do a lot of spoilers, but he talks about when he's writing it, he introduces the plot point that the uh, it's either coffee or tea that they're all drinking is poisoned. Coffee. coffee. Yeah. The coffee's poisoned. Yeah. But when he was writing it, he didn't know who co- who poisoned it. He was setting that up as he went along. Yeah. And that's why the movie's so good is because it's like, okay, I'm going to put all these characters in one location. They're stuck there. I'm just going to let them beat the crap out of each other verbally and physically. Um, it, it, he, he does, when he starts writing... He doesn't like. He didn't know he was gonna kill Hitler until the he got day there. He got there, decided to kill Hitler. Yeah. He had a glorious, and and um, so so that that's an important thing for people who want to write and stuff is you don't have to start with the end in mind and work backwards. Yeah. You can start with a great premise and characters and build towards it and, totally. and let the inspiration and the, of the story tell you what the ending is gonna be. Totally. Um, so yeah, no, I I, I love Hateful Eight. It, to me, it has the um, of all those films may have some of the richest characters in it. Great surp- surprise and twist. Uh, you were saying how uh, it's a western. I, I would say it's an Agatha Christie novel. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. H- Hateful Eight is a whodunit kind, yeah. of, kind of thing, and and to me, it's a lot like um, Murder on the Orient Express. We have one location. Yep. And it's this twisted story that these characters are taking you through, and nobody is who they seem to, yeah. who they are presenting themselves as. So, are we doing? Are we going with my number five, or do your number six? What do you <laughs> what, what do you have for number six? I have uh, Kill Bill vol, uh, Volume Two for number six. Okay. Uh, and Kill Bill One is five, so this kind of gets us caught up. Uh, and the, a lot of people like two over one. A lot of people do, yeah. Yeah, I like one over two, and it's because of that closing scene with mm. uh, 
uh, uh, Oren uh, Ishii, the, the fight in the Crazy 88's battle. Uh, I, I, I love the Kill Bills because I love samurai films. Totally. <laughs> and uh, he did a modern take on a samurai film, uh, which with another thing that Tarantino loves are uh, hired assassins, um, which, which I thought was fantastic. Kill Bill to me is a comic book. Totally. And, totally uh, is. Yeah, and it, and it, uh, it is uh, uh, kind, of, kind of the comic book that I would have liked when I was a kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, my number five, so I'll, I'll get to uh, Kill Bill. It's a little bit higher on my list than that. But my number five is probably a lot of people's number one. Uh, it's Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And I know that's a really hot take. <laughs> um, I came to Pulp Fiction really late. I saw it later than a lot of people usually do, especially in regards to what other Tarantino films I had seen at the time. Mm-hmm. I love Pulp Fiction. I think it's great. Um, there are sequences I could do without. There are other sequences that are like my favorite in all of, his Tar- all of Tarantino films. There, I just feel like the other movies on my list is more polished Tarantino than Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction's great. I love it. It's It's... But I, I usually, whenever I'm like, oh, I want to pu- watch Pulp Fiction, it's usually like, oh, I want to watch, like, uh, all the Bruce Willis stuff, or I want to watch all of the Samuel L. Jackson stuff. I don't really want to sit down and watch the entire thing, or I just want to watch the Chris, uh, Christopher Walken scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, but it's never like, oh, I want to sit down and watch the whole yeah. story. It's usually sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't have time for that, or I don't have yeah. the attention span for that right now. Um, I, I mean, I love Pulp Fiction. There's nothing wrong with it. It's like... It's probably my favorite soundtrack to a Tarantino film. Yeah. Um, I think it's great. I just think that a lot of people hype it over the other films. And it, I, it's deserving of that. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are missing out on what those other films offer. Mm. Pulp Fiction's great, though. I love it. I think it's yeah. no, fantastic. It, 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 uh, I remember seeing Reservoir Dogs, and then I remember uh, a later movie, when it was a year or two later, when Pulp Fiction came out, going to see him in the theater. And um, both were kind of jarring and, yeah. and, and shocking and, and really made you think. And, and I remember coming out of Pulp Fiction thinking, good, what was that all? Well, you know, yeah. not, not that I didn't understand the film, but I was like, man, this thing took some twists. Yeah. <laughs> Stabbing her in the heart to... Uh, uh, to uh, revitalize her. Yeah, to revitalize her, to meeting the gimp. And I, I, I just like, it took me... Took me places I did not expect, and it wasn't until repeated viewings that uh, the shock value wore off. Yeah, um, and I really um, appreciated the film even more. I know what you're talking about. There's 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 one scene in particular that I, I think uh, grinds the film to a halt a little bit. It's, it's a motel stuff. It's a motel stuff. Yeah, with Bruce Willis. Which he uh, so Tarantino is a co-writer on the film yeah. um, who wrote the screenplay with him and he won so they both won best original screenplay yeah. but the co-writer only wrote that motel sequence yeah. and that Tarantino just put that in the film because he wrote it he's like I like this I'm gonna use it yeah. so I think first of all that guy didn't deserve the Oscar yeah. and yeah. Uh, second of all it that you could have done something different with yeah. the motel stuff I just I don't care for Bruce Willis's girlfriend no, no, she she is uh, uh, she's the least interesting of all of the side characters. Uh, um, although the the thing that uh, Pulp Fiction has, um, I think, in regards to all of his other films, maybe it's because it's the most popular, it's the most quoted. Yeah, it, it, it has uh, some of the best dialogue um, 
particularly on an early Saturday morning, these guys are going to kill this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's such a, it's, it's such an interesting thing that, uh, in his world that, um, in Los Angeles, these guys driving around doing this kind of stuff. This, yeah. well, yeah, I would say a lot of people like to cite, oh, Jackie Brown's Bay Area movie or whatever. Pulp no. Fiction, I honestly do think is his California movie. In it Los is Angeles, so yeah. California with yeah. the music playing in the background. I even just like the wolf at a party at yeah. not at like 9 a.m. on a Saturday, you know, in a tux. Uh, it, or uh, Tarantino's character, like his whole house, all that yeah. stuff. I'm just like, this is so. California, the uh, Jackrabbit Slims. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I wish that was my life, or that was my Saturday morning, or that was what I did on Friday night. It, it, uh, there, there's the one scene where uh, Bruce Willis runs over the Reigns, and, and it's like out of Psycho, right? From that scene, totally. Like Marion's running away with the bag of money, and the boss walks, walks by. by. It, Except for he, she it, runs him, or he runs it, her him over. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah. Bruce Willis runs him over, and. and um, if you see that, I think he's going to get coffee. Yeah. <laughs> so he's the he's the mob boss, and he's just going to. Get oh, he's donuts. Oh, yeah, donuts. he's carrying donuts. Yeah, with right. him. It's Carry hilarious. Donuts. Yeah, that he's out getting donuts for the for the gang. It's so funny. <laughs> no, it's such. There's so many things like that. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah. So you're, that's your Pulp Fiction's point. great, though. Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Uh, yeah. Great. I love Pulp Fiction. So you have it as your number five. And that's my number five. What's your? Do you, have you used on four my, and sixty-five? My, right. Yeah. So my five is Kill Bill one. Yeah. So my four, and just so that for continuity, is both Kill Bill movies. I just put them together. I do like Volume One more than Two. Two is great yeah. altogether, but I just love, I love the. Also, who is it? She battles in her house, and her daughter comes Vanita? home. Yeah, <laughs> I love that sequence. It's, so it's fantastic because that's like, that is one of my favorite. Action sequences from, or from just from a screenwriting standpoint, not even like the stunt stuff, which is great. Them battling in the house, but then you have the shot, the medium shot of them facing each other, and then the in the bus. background, the school bus pulls up and her daughter gets out. That is fantastic the, writing. The, 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 it will, and the other thing is, um, she's a housewife, but she is this unbelievable trained killer. <laughs> so, yeah. And she's living in the suburban, and she looks like a housewife, and everything in the house was put together right. So, she so have swords just hanging out all yeah. over the place. No, it's it, 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 it and that, that's the that's the great humor in in Tarantino films. If people are watching Tarantino films and they're not laughing a lot and, and picking up on those, then they're just not getting. You're like, missing out. You're missing out. Yeah. yeah, it's it's beautiful to watch. Um. Okay, what's your number four? Uh, Hateful Eight. Okay. Yeah, Hateful Eight. Uh, um, Hateful Eight because um, not only he has great ensemble casts uh, all the time, but because of the claustrophobic feel of that film with those people in that room, uh, you get such wonderful characterization. And so you have really, really rich characters. And um, it takes you on this journey that the first time you see it, you don't know where this thing is headed. No, not at all. Yeah. And um, and Daisy Domergue, uh, uh, that's such a great character. Yeah. And uh, just absolutely disgusting too. That that is a great thing about Hit Philly is that it's at a point in Tarantino's career where you know that he'll do anything with his story. 
And so it's kind of it's kind of a really nice movie in the way that it's like, okay, this isn't Django. Yeah. This isn't the Kill Bill movies. Yeah. Because you're not leaving a lot. Your your characters you don't necessarily like any of them. But it's kind of cool where it's the standpoint of like, okay, I'll sit down for three hours and see wherever this goes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't have one main character in the whole movie. No. The the, the problem, the, the challenge that uh, I think Tarantino has created, both him and Samuel L. Jackson, is that Tarantino has written uh, dialogue, and there's certain words that he uses frequently in his dialogue that Samuel L. Jackson uh, can deliver. And Samuel L. Jackson delivers most of their mostly profanities so well that nobody else can come no. behind him and do it. No, it, it, you know you, you it, it, the the it, whether it's Pulp Fiction or Hateful Eight or any of these films with Samuel Jackson, he was perfectly cast to say those words. And the problem is, is I don't care who you are after. You can't top it. It's been spoiled it's, it's forever. Like, you might as well not put that in the script. It's like Jack Lemmon performing a Billy Wilder written script. Yeah. You watch any other Billy Wilder movie, you're like, ah, this is good. It'd but it's better, not Jack Lemmon. It'd be better it, Jack Lemmon. Exactly. Yeah. You watch any other uh, Tarantino film, you're like, oh, this is good. But I would like it if Samuel Jackson was saying this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. And, and uh, I just look at uh, any, any of those screenwriters out there. He, Tarantino's done it so well that uh, they basically can't do it. So no, yeah. They have to edit those things out because nobody can deliver like those two. Okay, my number three is Inglorious Bastards. And I, just because it used to be really low for me, I thought it was overrated. And I rewatched it recently, and I do think it's a, still a little bit. I think people with Tarantino movies is like a lot of media out there. Same thing with Scorsese. They like it for the wrong reasons. It's like, oh, yeah, blood splatters the wall, like, yeah. flamethrower Nazis. Like, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm like, well, no, because you have to, like, the bar scene, the opening scene, um, even, like, the Jew, uh, the Jew bear scene or the bear Jew scene, like, people like this stuff for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Like, the, the violence or, like, the, like, you, like you said, the swearing. There's a lot of other great, I guess I just, like, it, the movie from a screenwriter standpoint of like, oh, that's a, such a great way of doing exposition. Like the whole opening scene is great from a, like, yeah, it's really tense and stuff like that. Yeah. But like the way that you meet Christoph Waltz and that Tarantino can bring information out of dialogue without making it seem expositionary. So you take a character who's really full of himself and really egotistic and you have him sit down with this guy and you have him say, well, don't you know who I am? Yeah. It's like, it's super presumptuous, it's super uh, uh, egotistical, which is but it serves which you, what you expect, from, especially this Nazi, yeah. but it serves the purpose of introducing the character to the audience. Well, the other thing is, um, he creates a wonderful villain of Christoph Waltz in this film, because you're thinking the whole time, uh, no one's going to be able to outspark this no, guy. Yeah. How are they going to pull this off, this ragtag yeah. group? And uh, they're already compromised uh, because he killed a bunch of guys in a bar. And, and this, is, uh, this is not going to work. Well, I, I do love how the movie is basically... Like, you have the whole Sh- Shoshana uh, storyline, which yeah. really, that character is just any Uma Ther- Thurman character <laughs> from <laughs> yeah, any yeah, other yeah, uh, yeah, Tarantino yeah. movie. Yeah. Uma just said, I need to diversify my acting My portfolio. acting portfolio. He loves a pretty uh, skinny blonde who re- serves revenge. Yeah. Um, but... Really, the movie is 
Aldo the Apache, ter- uh, Brad Pitt's character, yeah. who seems like a kind of dumb hillbilly, versus this really smart, egotistical detective Nazi. Yeah. And when they cross paths, and then whoever wins in the end, which is great because he kind of, it's Tarantino who takes a genre that's usually beloved by like the film community, which is a World War II war movie, and he turns it on his head in his way, and then he takes uh, like what would be the personification of that genre, which is the uh, Christoph Waltz character, and you have him defeated by the hillbilly, uh, uneducated, (laughs) Aldo the Apache. and both those characters, they both like they both say that they came from the mountains, yeah. and they both are like they the, both got the, drawn into the war. They're not originally in the yeah. army. They got both got like, uh, like hey, we need your help yeah. if anything. Um, it's just it, it's great. And it's no. great. It's best when honestly, I think Brad Pitt's character is on screen because he, he he Brad Pitt is probably one of my favorite actors that Tarantino works with yeah. consi- uh, um, consistently because he. He just fills his roles perfectly. The, the for a lot of people, um, the Dirty Dozens uh, line, the the Apaches, Apaches group, the basically the Dirty Dozen. That's the best part of the film. The other, yeah. the other, the other part is, yeah, we don't care. Yeah, the French, we don't care that much about. Yeah, it. It, it, uh, it's not as exciting, and and every scene that those guys are in is great. And and Tarantino, um, he creates. Uh, interesting heroes, so much so that it, it can overshadow other parts of the film. Like everybody loves the Bear Jew, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he's he's the here. We want to see like Roth just you know whacking Nazis, right? We yeah. love we love we love that, it, and um, because of that, it can overshadow other characters. You look at throughout his films, and he always kind of ha- has these uh, the these heroes that are so great. That uh, they they can cloud out everyone else. Well, and you, I mean, not to mention Michael Fassbender's character, also fantastic. Yeah, but he's, he screws up. He three. screws up. <laughs> and well, it, well that, that you watch that whole bar scene up until when he orders the beers. You're thinking, uh, oh, I want this character in the whole movie. But then Tarantino, I'm sure he was like sad that he wrote the part to be killed so yeah. early because it's like, oh, I wish Michael Fassbender was in the whole length of the film. But yeah. that's just how great the movie is. That he yeah. t- brings in great characters and then kills them off. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Also, a really weird Mike Myers cameo. Yeah. Um, what's your number three? Pulp Fiction. Okay. Yeah. And we've kind of already talked we about it. We already talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Great, great movie. Yeah. My number two used to be my number one, but it got dethroned by number one. Everyone's going to figure out, based yeah. on his filmography, how this goes, is Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. which uh, I think is... Probably Tarantino's most underrated movie because you have it's his first official film, um, and then Pulp Fiction right after, which overshadows it. Reservoir Dogs is just a great heist movie without showing the heist. No. It's it's ah, I just love the idea of who's the rat and giving. Uh, it's his first time working with non-linear storyline, uh, uh, which he loves to uh, do. Um, he has all of his trademarks. That's one of them. That which is one of his trademarks. Um, I love all the characters. Steve Buscemi's character. I love Harvey Keitel. I love uh, Tarantino as himself. I love opening the movie, which first of all, I don't know why they're eating at a coffee or at a coffee place if they're going to go rob a, like yeah. a bank. I feel like that's a bad idea. Yeah. But um, I, I just love them talking about the tips, which also, by the way, points out who the rat is going to be <laughs> early on because 
Yes. They're asking who didn't tip, and yeah. it's uh, Tim Roth's character that goes, yeah. oh, uh, Mr. Was it Mr. Pink? Mr. Yeah. Pink didn't do it. He yeah. rats him out yeah. immediately. So it's a great. Uh, that's well, that's another great thing about subtextual uh, reveal of character that Tarantino does so well. You have characters talking about something completely unrelated to the plot, but it shows plot details in how they talk. Now, about l- let me let me give you an idea that I think would be great to be hilarious. So imagine if you had if Wes Anderson did a sequel to Rushmore. Yeah. And uh, what's uh, what's his what's his name's character there? Uh, uh, Max Fisher. Max Fisher comes back as a professor at Rushmore, and he's teaching drama. And they do Reservoir Dogs, the musical. That'd be great. Yeah, <laughs> that'd, that'd be, be great. great. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I always thought that would be an interesting crossover between well, those two, the Wes Anderson world and the Quentin Tarantino. Reservoir Dogs world. is famously like a huge community theater play that a lot of people put on. Oh, yeah. it, it's it's big it, with like people but I think who, Max like, would take it to the next level oh he totally would like, well, like, like he like does Serpico. with like uh, Serpico and Platoon <laughs> yeah um, I think but Reservoir Dogs is so from like even Michael Madsen's like off the walls oh, it's, it's his best it's his best performance yeah, yeah. Gosh, that movie's so good I want to watch it again no Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs is fantastic I, I like uh, Reservoir Dogs because it is um it's, it's almost like a sleek version of Tarantino. Yeah. It, and there's no fat in that No movie. fat, nope. It, it, it is, it is, um, and the other thing that I like about it is, is it, you can tell that there's not a massive budget. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that story is so tight. Well, it's because he originally was like, okay, we're, I'm going to make this with my friends and we're going to make it for $30,000. That's yeah. what we're going to do. And then, so. Then he got Harvey Keitel. Yeah, so he, his, yeah. uh, Tarantino's acting coach, he gave it to his acting coach because Tarantino originally wanted to be an actor. Not at this point in his career, he was cool being a writer-director, but Tarantino's in the film. Yeah. He gave the script to his acting coach. His acting coach's wife gave it to Harvey Keitel, and Harvey Keitel's like, I want to be in this, and I'll, I'll produce it, and then it became a, a million-dollar yeah, uh, budget. Get some budget. And then that's when he was like, okay, cool, I'm going to spend all of the soundtrack uh, budget on Stuck in the Middle with You. Yeah. Which is probably my favorite needle drop of all Tarantino films. <laughs> um, One of the most memorable one of the most memorable ones, uh, but yeah, gosh, that movie's so good. Yeah, no, I, um, everybody's great in it. Christopher Penrose, rest, rest in peace, is great. I mean, yeah, that 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 that's kind of the first of his ensemble cast uh, um, and, and his relationship working with Tim Roth and Harry Patel again. No, it's it's fantastic. He's worth to see Buscemi more. I feel Buscemi. Buscemi's character that is that is, that is oh, top five Buscemi roles. That is. Buscemi crushes it in that. Yeah, he's he was cast and, and written perfectly. Yeah. Well, Reservoir Dogs is my number one. My number two is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Then that's my number one. So yeah, we just have them switched. That's my favorite. Uh, I know I've only seen it once. I'm seeing it again today. Um, it's his most. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his most heartfelt movie. It has the most emotion and sentimentality to it. Uh, it it almost like for me, I was like after I watched it, I was like. This might ruin other Tarantino movies for me because it's so, it's like, oh, I'm going to do my Tarantino thing and I'm going to add another layer of emotion and actual heartfelt story and like almost catharsis from himself that I was just like, oh, I didn't know Tarantino could be this much better and make all those other movies kind of seem like montage violence. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think it's like it's just straight up a masterpiece, and it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, it's it's a perfect film in all regards, for me at least. This is it, and this is 
And time will tell, and this is probably over analyzation of, of this film, but if you think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it takes place 50 years ago, and it, at its center, uh, the film is about these guys who are a little bit past their prime, and, try, and, and change is happening all around them. Yeah. And they've got one foot stuck in the past, but they don't know how to transition to the future. And, and I think at the end of, um, I, I think that what Tarantino's telling you is that uh, if history had gone differently, Leonardo DiCaprio's character would have become Clint Eastwood. Yeah, he would have gone on to direct and, and all this kind of stuff because he had this experience in um, spaghetti westerns. In the spaghetti westerns and saw how they were how how, how quickly they were directing things. But um, we'll never know. So we won't make, hopefully, he never makes a sequel to that. But I think that um, he is. He could be. Maybe he's doing this subconsciously. He's talking about today too, because if you look at films, we're in a crossroads. And this film may go down in history as the one that was the, the one of the last great films like this. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the last uh, of its generation. And um, because there are a lot of people like Tarantino who are seeing that their environment, their landscape is changing. And the things that he was doing in the last 10 and 20 years you probably can't do anymore because the the game has changed in Hollywood. Yeah, and, and those the Cinerama and those things, those things are are things of the past now. Um, it so the thing that I my theory about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is that it's an allegory. For it's, him and Weinstein. It's him and Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Cliff Booth is Harvey Weinstein. He's yeah. Rick Dalton. Yeah. Um, it's it's Tarantino's most vulnerable because you have Cliff Booth who. Once again, if you haven't seen the movie, don't listen to this. Cliff Booth, who uh, probably killed his wife and has a scandal in the past that no one, and everyone knows about it, and some people don't want to work with him because of it. But Rick Dalton feels like he needs him and he helps him out. And that's how I feel like Tarantino is with Harvey Weinstein scandals, and he has his problematic friend, but who's a really loyal and trustworthy friend is able and yeah. is willing to do anything to help him out, like Cliff Booth does at the end yeah. of the film. Even if he's a really despicable person, and you still see Cliff Booth in a good light in different scenes in the film. And Tarantino recently got married to an yeah. Italian actress, just like Rick Dalton did. Yeah. Uh, Tarantino might feel like he's at the end of his career, which is why he's saying this is the second to last film. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's just it's just a, a yeah. metaphorical, uh, like cathartic release for Tarantino talk, talking about his life. It's the most vulnerable, most most true to himself movie. Tarantino's said before, like, my movies are really personal personal, and they are stories for my life. I just disguise them as, like, people killing Nazis in a theater instead of what actually is going on in my life. And so I think that's really interesting, but this is the one that I can see through the most of what is actually he's saying. Th this film reminds me of American Graffiti. The whole time I'm watching the film, I'm thinking it's American Graffiti. Where, where American Graffiti was a, uh, a snapshot of George Lucas's upbringing in San Bernardino. This is a snapshot of, of his music. The the soundtrack for it comes from the radio. Yeah. It's the same thing in American Graffiti. Uh, uh, these characters are real. In American Graffiti, those characters will probably, Lucas probably knew all of them. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, the, the thing that uh, I also appreciated a lot about this film is um, Margot Robbie's performance as Sharon Tate and the use of Sharon Tate because she's like this muse, um, and she
she represents everything that's good or new and what's going on. And she kind of drifts through uh, these scenes. And, and Margot Robbie, uh, the way that she plays Sharon Tate, you get to know her intimately yeah. With, yeah. With, without her, with, without all this dialogue, just, just her facial expressions and the things that she does. It's just, it's just fantastic. There is a symbolism, I feel, in Sharon. So a lot of people, a lot of complaints I've read about Once Upon a Time. First of all, all the complaints I've read about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. are ridiculous. Yeah. It's from people, It's it, and I love it because it's the people who love Tarantino for the wrong reasons not getting the Tarantino film they want. Yeah. And it's like, it's going to, it, it's like, this should challenge you to broaden your horizon of what movies can do. Yeah. People are like, people keep saying, Sharon Tate's storyline, it serves no purpose in the movie. I'm like, that's because you don't get it. Like, yeah. Sharon, Sharon Tate, so. Sharon, Sharon Tate is the pixie dust of that movie. So, no, well, here's, here's how I see it. So, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski live on top of a hill. And Rick Dalton and kind of Cliff Booth, <laughs> mostly Rick Dalton, live at the bottom of that hill. But then, step below miles away in the valley is Spawn Ranch. Yeah. You have these two different options, and they're geographically different. So one's in the valley, one's on top of this hill, and you have Rick Dalton in the middle. So Cliff Booth goes down to Spawn Ranch, which is like hell, and he visits Bruce Dern's character, who's stuck here at Spawn Ranch. Who, this, this guy who's past his prime, and he's living with these hippies, and you see all of Satan, who's Charles Manson, living with his, it, with his it, devils it, down there. And it wasn't too long ago... That's that George Spawn was Cliff Booth. No, exactly. Yeah, and <laughs> and that old Hollywood model. And, and he's so been stuck there. You have that going on, and then but you have Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski living a really nice life, going to the Playboy Mansion, like uh, at the beginning of their career. Yeah, but you have mamas and papas. You have Rick Dalton stuck in the middle, and at the at the end of the film. You have the sequence when Cliff Booth is taken away in an ambulance. He goes down the hill. And Rick Dalton is invited up to the Tate Mansion, and he goes up the hill. Yeah. And so I see that as Harvey Weinstein going off to jail, going down the hill, and Quentin Tarantino going on to better things, going yeah. up the hill. This yeah. passing of partners. But you, so you, th the reason why you have Bruce Dern's character in Spawn Ranch shown is like this is one option, and you have Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski at the top of the hill and saying this is the other option. These are the two different paths you can take, and the two friends split at the end. Yeah. I'm not saying that. Cliff Booth goes and joins the Manson family, and he goes down to Spawn Ranch. But he goes down the hill, and Rick Dalton goes up up the hill. I think it's it's perfect and beautiful. And the movie takes the second act, and it shows you two, those two different lives. You go into Sharon Tate's day, you go into Spawn Ranch's day, and you see those two, and you see Rick Dalton in the middle, and then you see him go up the hill at the end. That's why I think it's a perfect film. Yeah, it's also no, his most subtle. No, it's it, it is. There is no doubt that it's like I said. It's it's my number two. Um, Love, 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 love. Once, once upon a time, the I'm trying to think. The actress who plays uh, Pussycat, um, she is um, the daughter of famous actress. Um, or oh, no, no, no. Are you talking about Maya Hawk? No, not Maya Hawk. Plays Pussycat. She, uh, it's it's one of her uh, first roles. She's a hitchhiker uh, that. Um, uh, Cliff picks up and takes out this. No, I know, I know exactly who you're talking about. Let me pull uh, her up. What is her name? She, she crushed it. <laughs> what an unbelievable performance. Margaret Qualley? Yeah, Mark. Uh, yeah, uh, Qualley. Andy McDowell. Yeah, Andy McDowell's her mom, yeah. Who herself is a terrific actress. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, no. Well, it's interesting that you have. So, you have, first of all, Rumor Willis. 
who is Br- Bruce Willis's daughter in the movie, and you have Maya Hawke, who is Uma Thurman's daughter in the movie. You have children of the main actors from Pulp Fiction working at Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. It's, it's all familial. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's funny how those things work out, right? There's, a, there's another one, too. Um, is it Bomber Hurley Smith? or there, there, There's a couple of others of those um, who were children of people who've worked with him in the past that uh, were cast in this. And... Um, and, and I don't know if what he knows about these hippies at the time. Many of those hippies, those runaways, came from wealth and upper-class families who they got to that point in their life and all the material things were just emptiness to them. And um, mommy or daddy didn't love them like they probably should. And, and they became runaways and joined up with these crazy cults and did stuff like that. So um, it's, it's interesting to have the offspring of, of them yeah. being placed in, in these roles. But uh, yeah, no, what a, yeah, what a, what a great uh, what a great film. I'm very excited to watch it again. Well, I feel sorry for Bruce Turner though. Yeah, he had to play the whole thing laid down in that cot and blind back blind in that crappy room. Must great to see Bruce Turner get fantastic roles like that. Yeah, it is yeah. great. I love Bruce Turner. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. You, um, I think an actor looks at it and says, well, I can have a big part in this film or I can have a small part in a Tarantino film. Yeah. And uh, Well, how cool is it that Luke Perry's last role was in a Tarantino movie? No, no. Also, Timothy Oliphant's character was a great bit character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is this? Uh, Scooty, uh, no, Scoot McNary, too. Yeah, totally. Bob. I mean, there, there's Mr. So Clark many, from Stranger Things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's so many... Somebody great, uh, uh, great. That's the thing he does. That the characters are so rich. They're great. Uh, that, he writes the whole backstory for them. Yeah. And just like chapters of information that you that you see on screen. Well, that's another thing is that once upon a time in Hollywood, these are the only characters I feel like live beyond the movie I'm watching. Yeah. I watch like Django Unchained, and I'm like, oh, he just wrote like I know that Tarantino writes like long background for them and stuff yeah. like that. But this is the only movie where I'm like, oh, they have lives beyond this that I'm not seeing, yeah. and it's magical that way. Yeah. No. It. it, it like I said, um, it's this. This film has pixie dust on it. There. There is a. There's a magic quality to it. Um, I don't know about award season and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it definitely deserves something. I hope Brad Pitt wins Best Sporting Actor. That's just <laughs> That'd me. Be great. Yeah, it, it's yeah. There's no bad performance in this film. Yeah, uh, and I love the 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 jump cuts and things that he did in his film that mirrored the way films were shot. Yeah, that totally. Time. It's, yeah, there's so there's so many layers to it. It's a great film. Well, shout out to the uh, Waffle Agenda podcast. Thank you. Uh, thank. You for coming down, um, and uh, yeah, great time. Thank you for thank you for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me. No problem. Have a good day.